Oh my God, Rob, what is that? Jesus, Rob. That picture of you. That is hilarious. He's he's up on my screen as it said like he's connecting or something. I see. Oh, it there. I was oh. just about to do a screen cap of it. Damn it. Your your whole picture is very um. Your whole picture is sort of like uh, I don't know. Yeah, look at that. It is, as I speak, the anniversary of Joe Biden's inauguration. This is Glop Culture. I'm John Podhoritz in New York. Elsewhere in New York, Rob Long. Hi, Rob. Hey, John. I, wow, that's a good uh, anniversary. And at the epicenter of Biden mania in Washington, Jonah Goldberg. Jonah, can you feel the Biden mania? Well, I can because I'm at the home and they're getting special jello because of uh, <laughs> the one-year anniversary for Biden. Sure. It is, it is, it is, it is very good news. And as I, as I actually, I have to repeat this because I said it on the commentary podcast earlier today. But um, uh, if you watched the press conference yesterday, now you know why they kept him in the basement. You know, I, they kept right. him in the basement. Right. That was one hell of a press conference, by which I mean literal hell, as though America <laughs> descended into hell and we are now living in hell. I have never seen anything like it. Jonah, we were we were texting through it. It was jaw dropping. Am I correct? Yeah, it was. It was uh, to quote uh, the, that that uh, admin thing. Uh, it was not great, Bob. Um, it was, uh, it was different than good. Um, it was, you know, the thing is if, if you wanted to, right, if you took it, like talking about it being in the basement, if you took it as basement tapes, right, you know, they find these old Beatles things and you remixed it, cut it down by about 85%, you know, he could keep his opening statement before he took questions. Um, it was a pretty good press conference. The problem was is that it was live and like, it's, they can't edit it. And it was the, the. I think there's an there's a non-trivial chance that the, you know, if it's a limited incursion, um, yeah, uh, thing will could have real legs historically because oh, there yeah. is now a limited incursion, even if minor, a minor, 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 incursion, minor incursion. All Putin has to do is have a minor incursion now. Yeah, and certainly half the country will say, well, he did it because you said it was okay, you know, and even though that's like, I mean, that's like it just gave. Putin, the ability to screw Biden in ways, right? Um, that was just kind of amazing. I, I anyway, I, I just uh, but you the know, nudity three, was tasteful. <laughs> well, it always is. Three three years, we got three years more of this. Three years, you think? <laughs> I mean, really? I, I was just like, I don't know. I mean, let's uh, we're supposed to talk about stuff that uh, is actually going on in your head. I don't know. It's like that. Uh, I mean, okay. the thing, I guess what I find so weird about it is just how the uh, not the uh, the doddering stuff, but how how um, how they're not going for boring. Mm-hmm. Like are they boring is uh, go for boring. Bo- First of all, boring's not easy, but we know it. Boring works. It's like you go for boring. Like the number one ice cream flavor in America, as everybody knows, is vanilla. Like because you can put toppings on it if you want, or you don't. It's have the to. least objectionable flavor. Yeah, right? be that. It's super yeah. popular. Go for the. You know, it's like it, people like to make fun of the TV in the seventies and eighties, but like it, 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 yeah, thirty million people watching TV then. That's pretty good. There is no they. 
There was only what? him. So in 2020, I know. I know. In 2020, he understood that the thing that he wanted to do was give Trump the rope to hang himself with. And that, you know, he needed to play the long game. He needed to be self-disciplined and not talk. And, and the whole setup of the, of the yeah. pandemic meant that he could protect himself from himself. But there is no counterparty. <laughs> but, uh, There's no counterparty left. There is only yeah. him. He is president. He stood there for, for an hour and 50 minutes, and he said whatever came into his head. He yeah. said, oh, inflation's going to get much worse. <laughs> so much worse. It's going to be so much worse, everybody. While Putin is invading, because you know, if he invades, he's going to win. He's a, I, I look, look at him. I mean, if you really think about it, his, his prospects of success are pretty great. Said Trump. Said Biden. Uh, inflation's going to be bad. Only six thousand schools are closed in the United yeah, States. I mean, bad. over and over and over but, again, he said things. That are really injurious to himself because he's got no – he isn't boring. He's got nowhere to go as a but, boring I mean, But isn't this the case that when you get with you, – people say this to themselves all the time, in relationships even, like with other people. Like, once I get X, then I'll be allowed to do Y. I just <laughs> need to do X first, and then when I get X, I can do Y. And the, 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 the great lesson of life, human life, is that once you get X – you, you still can't do why. You can never do why. <laughs> why will never be. Once we get married, then I think he or she will start to really. No, no, that will never happen. So, like, on this boring thing, though, I mean, John, I agree you're right. I think he is dr the, the most important thing to understand about him. And, th and in this respect, he is a lot like Trump, is his overriding insecurity. And he does things to prove to himself that his feelings of insecurity are not justified yeah. all the friggin' time. And the, the thing that's amazing is like, I mean, I wrote a piece almost exactly a year ago saying he's blowing it because he should be like Ike, right? This, you know, distant, quiet, <laughs> right, right. Intr like, intrude on the national conversation sparingly and rarely. Yeah. And if you think about it as a casting thing, think like you would not cast Joe Biden for the lead role in, Saturday Night Fever or Three Days of the Condor or anything like that. You would cast him as the sort of the grandfatherly old guy who does the important, the vanilla things that we all agree on mm -hmm. and then just stays out of it, right? He's like, that FDR was very good at that. Ike was brilliant at that. Reagan was great at that. And it, this, he could have had yeah. a hugely successful first year in presidency if he understood that pleasing you know, the MSNBC late afternoon viewing crowd was not but he, don't you the think key he they were winning. Yeah. Don't you think he reflects something else though, something larger and cultural, is that the our inability to I mean the word compromise is overused. Your inability to sort of like take half. You know, you get half, that's fine. Like that is sort of how the whole system's working. Every argument we have and now. That's what he ran on. He ran as yeah. a senator who's like gonna he was gonna call eh. me. Yeah. Admit, hey, what what can you what what can you you know buy? What can you not? Yeah. He didn't call any Republicans. I mean, it's it, but what's strange to me is this: that it, I think it happens in 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 people's lives too. This sort of, um, I I I I, I wrote a, a column this week um for Washington Examiner, and I was mentioning this thing I I read once about an interview with Karl Lagerfeld, the famous the late designer. And Lagerfeld was describing some event he went to and the room and how horrible it was. He said, oh, you know, the room was terrible. There was a lot of 
Louis says mixed with Louis Cans. Ugh. Like, what? Like, ugh. Like, that was terrible. Like, that comparison. And I actually looked it up to see what the comparison was. And mostly the difference is that a Louis Cans ha- uh, have, like, chairs that are backed uh, that are black, black, like shell backed chairs, kind of like mm-hmm. in a weird shell pattern. And Louis says they were more like shields. And that was enough for Karl Lagerfeld to say, ugh. And I feel like everyone in Washington is Karl Lagerfeld now. And everyone in, in America is Karl Lagerfeld now. I'm like, eh, I don't want, I want exactly what I wanted. Otherwise, it's ugh. Joe Biden said that what he needs to do in this next year is to listen to more presidential historians the way he did at the beginning of of last year. That's what he wants to do, is have meetings with political scientists and political historians like the ones that he talked to at the beginning of last year, like John Meacham, who told him to be LBJ, said he was LBJ. So this is the takeaway that Biden has. Biden's takeaway is he's the best. He has done more in the first year than any president ever has. That's what he said. He's over-delivered. He didn't uh, overpromise and underdeliver. He's overdelivered, and what he wants to do is listen to more idiots who will tell him that he is LBJ, or maybe he's I don't know the risen Christ. I don't know what they're going to say to him after the hey, LBJ hey, hey, thing. Hey. What? Well, I, he's not. He's I'm, not now, I'm now stipulating that there could be a risen Christ. <laughs> oh, I don't that's know. true. That, actually, I thought that was very generous. You're close. We'll convert you, know, you yet, John Podoritz. <laughs> Anyway, I mean, what what are they going to say to him? Uh, you know, Mr. President, you could really be, um, you know, I don't know, St. Boniface. I don't know what what the hell they could say to him <laughs> that he would love to hear. I, I don't know. I mean, um, he's an idiot is what I'm saying. He had two hours of – it was like, you know, there was a famous theory, the Hidden Hand Presidency. Um, uh, Robert Greenstein uh, wrote this thing about uh, about Eisenhower, your your mm-hmm. model, right? And and the thing he said was that everybody thought that I at the time, it's interesting, thought that Eisenhower was an idiot, and that Adlai Stevenson was much smarter than Eisenhower. Right. I want to remind you that Eisenhower was a not only the person who ran the Second World War, mm-hmm. uh, he conquered but Europe, also, and also was president <laughs> of Columbia University, and and liberal idiot liberal opinion of the day had it that uh, that he was, he was mentally dumb. deficient and dumb, yeah. and why? Because he would give these press conferences where he would sound inarticulate. Yeah. And according to his press secretary, whose name I can't now remember, James Haggerty, maybe? I can't remember what it was. His Jim, name was. It was Jim Haggerty, yes. Jim Haggerty yeah. said that they would have this discussion about what he was going to say when he went out for the press conference to deal with a, t- you know, a ticklish issue that they, they hadn't, you know, they were doing a lot of negotiations on the, you know, particularly in foreign policy. And Eisenhower said, don't worry, I got this. And then he would gobbledygook, he would speak yeah. deliberately. He right. would double talk. They said and, he and did that. In, they said he, they, he did, did that in shape headquarters as they were planning D Day. Like he just knew how to, you know, how to. I mean, he made a lot of. By the way, he sacrificed a lot. There was a lot of things he did, invading Fortress Europe that didn't mm-hmm. make any tactical or strategic sense. But he had to do it because it made political sense. Right. And like he got a lot of trouble for it later when sort of revisionist historians were going through his sort of yeah. battle plans. But. You know, you, that's kind of what you do. You sort of zip, you zip in, zip out, zip in, right. zip out. The guy himself was like, um, I mean, it, it's funny that there was, there's, there. He's a, he, he is the, the mirror or prism, prismatic president for that reason. Like everyone has claimed at some point that he was great because he was liberal, or he was great because he was secretly conservative, or he was great because he was incredibly political, or he's great because he rose above it. 
that's a sign that he's doing he was doing well also both parties smart. wanted him as their nominee at one right. point yeah. like Robert right. e. Lee. No, so but my point here is that is that what what Eisenhower did was deliberate what Biden did yeah. yesterday mm. was not a choice <laughs> yeah right it was not <laughs> a choice it was okay. it was they turned you know the switch got turned on he went out to the microphone and he said whatever came into his fool head and he just like yeah. may have caused a war in Ukraine he may have caused 10 more de defeats of Democrats in the House by by blithely saying that inflation was going to get a lot worse and by saying that, you know, don't worry, only 10 percent of schools are closed or whatever the hell it is that he was saying. Well, also, and, he, and you know what else he said that didn't get nearly enough attention just as a pure punditry? He said, like, so we have a president who is depending on what poll. I, I, first of all, I like how he said. I don't believe the polls, and then went like five minutes later, spent <laughs> yeah, like right, ten right, minutes right. explaining how the average the polls the right, right, But he said, you know, normally if you were a Democrat up for re-election in a purplish state, and the president of the United States, whose approval rating is in either in the the low forties to low thirties, you might not like him saying, you know, forty-eight of those senators do every single thing I ask and they are totally united behind me and they've never said no to right. anything. Like he's basically saying that 48 of these senators in his own party are pushovers and that's fine when you're at 60, if you're at like 60 in the polls, like people want to hear that. Yeah. You're just, you know, you're, you're a loyal trooper. But when the president is underwater, even among a lot of Democrats, you don't necessarily want to be, want the president to tell everybody <laughs> they love that, me. that you're a yes man and that you know you have no right. you never criticize the guy about anything also so it's a strange area for him to be failing at like there's something weirdly hilariously you know not biblical but almost symmetrical about this that this you know had you asked us a year and a half ago if we thought that president biden would be having trouble specifically in the senate with moderate senators from his own party I would have thought that's Phil. Come on, that's the one thing we know that Joe Biden can do. And yet, if you thought of it now, like you know who could really do this? Hillary Clinton. I'll mm -hmm. bet you Hillary Clinton would not be in this trouble. And I can I share with you uh, a literary analogy uh, uh, to yes. a short story by John Cheever called "The Chaste Clarissa." Oh, sure. You know the story. So it's a story I, I about a, 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 a vacationer, a guy, uh, sort of a, a Monday Friday guy who works in the city Monday through Friday, and comes out to Vineyard Haven on the on, on Cape Cod uh, on the weekends, and he sees this absolutely beautiful woman meeting the ferry, uh, meeting her husband on the ferry, and he treats her really badly. And this guy conceives of a desperate passion. He's got to have her, and he doesn't understand why this guy treats her so badly, and he's got to figure out how to get her. And she's very cool and isn't interested in having anything to do with him. And then he figures her secret out. And her secret is that what all he needs to say to her is, you're really intelligent. That's very interesting. Uh, you're really intelligent. I'm not interested. Charm. You're really intelligent. And, and as he's saying it to her, she is saying the most astoundingly stupid things. Like she says... Uh, the rocks on the point are growing. And he says, what do you, she's like, yeah, you know, rocks grow. Yeah. And, and, you know, people don't, don't notice this, that rocks grow. And um, 
I, I, here's a quote like from the story. I think we're like cogs in a wheel, she said. For instance, do you think that women should work? I've given that a lot of thought. My opinion is that I don't think married women should work. I mean, unless they have a lot of money, of course. But even then, I think it's a full-time job. Blah, 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 blah. And so all he needs to do is say, no, no, you're very intelligent. So what did the leftists in the Democratic Party say to Joe Biden? You're the greatest. You could be LBJ. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. right. Okay. Right, right. And and the last line of the story is that, that was all it took. Meaning, because he said what he needed to say to her, right. she she gave in to him. Right. So all John Meacham and whoever it was who said to him, you could be a combination of LBJ and FDR, only better, only <laughs> only much better. And he's that was all it took. That he's going to support seventy two trillion dollars in extra spending right. and not be a moderate and attack cinema and 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 mansion and do all that because they appealed precisely to the right they hit his vanity at exactly the right moment he's not fredo he's fdr right but it's also that they people believe that was so good yeah i'm gonna be fdr and 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 lbj put together right i also think people believe that when the the a new president takes office everything changes now Right. Everybody's different now. And like, you know, the same people reading the paper and tweeting and everything identical. So you are dealing with the same. You're finishing someone else's meal. You're not going to a different restaurant. It's the same stuff. Uh, and so people. But if you're super, super activist, progressive, you tend to think that the thing that happened the past four years was this weird fever dream. It didn't really happen. And we're resetting it to somewhere to Obama's third term. And that is and, – and all the things that – built on Obama's successes, right? So you know, he's done X, 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 and now you, you, you get a chance to do Y. And I feel like that is this strange drama, wish fulfillment kind of dreamscape that we're in sometimes where you're like – this is all about whether I can put my completed ballot in, any, in a box somewhere? Like, and, how get many water, and get water here? and get water on the line. Yeah, that's it. That's like I that's need to get really? water while I'm waiting in line for. How to about vote. you just forget about the boxes in the water and pass your thing, and then we'll do boxes in water later. Like that. <laughs> well, the- also, I, mean, I have a peeve about this boxes thing. I mean, like, like first of all, I think a lot of the stuff Democrats are looking for federalizing elections is bad. But like a lot of, doesn't matter very much one way or the other. Same thing with a lot mm-hmm. of things Republicans are doing. Um, you know, some of the bad Republican, you know, Trumpy guys could do bad stuff, but like no one's really passed terrible laws. No one's right. really proposing a lot of terrible. It's 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 a much of, it's it's blown way out of proportion. But on this friggin' Dropbox thing, you know what else is a Dropbox when you extend mail-in yes. voting? Mailboxes. <laughs> exactly. They're all Mail- over the place. Mailboxes are Dropboxes, and like the idea that somehow, like you could get rid of all of the Dropboxes, you'd still have mailboxes, and like like somehow that is that's Jim Crow 2.0. That's Jim Crow on steroids. Getting rid of drop boxes and letting all the people use mailboxes i actually don't know this is it do you, when you do when you vote by mail is it like you have to find a stamp i don't think so i don't think so no, i don't so. think so it's even free um so why don't we get off this and talk about some actually <laughs> interesting things i thought we sad were, things sad things okay. and remarkable things and remarkable people is this um, in, is this our in you want to talk about me <laughs> yeah, oh, well, by definition, but you're not dead, so I think you know. Oh, we'll, dead, okay. remarkable people. We're talking about dead. One person we know, but I think we'll 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 bring him up last. So, uh, Sidney Poitier uh, died last week. Oh um, yeah. Peter Bogdanovich week, died the week like before. A month ago. I know. Peter Bogdanovich died the week before. Um, 
And uh, it's very interesting. I mean, Sidney Poitier was an almost epical uh, cultural figure. And, and because he had pretty much disappeared from public life, uh, 15 years ago, and really right. wasn't wasn't much seen. And I I, I mean I, I I gather he died in part of Alzheimer's, so one doesn't know how long he had Alzheimer's or not. Um, but you know he had this incredibly long career. He started his first movie when he was 22 in 1950. Um, uh, a Joseph Mankiewicz movie right. called No Way Out, right? Which he played a doctor. He was a 22 year old who, like six years earlier, had been practically illiterate and was now playing a doctor <laughs> in a in a, in a movie. Um, taught how to read and how to speak English properly by a Jewish waiter in Harlem uh, who, and who you sat can, with him at night yeah. and 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 had him read the paper. And, and he spoke he, like a uh, like an old movie star. He spoke yeah. like he learned to speak English from somebody who had learned to speak English in a certain way. So and he, listened he tried to, to talk radio. like this. Yeah. They call me Mr. Tibbs. I mean, he was like Cary Grant in a weird way, in that which yeah. he had a he had a voice and an accent that yeah. no other person on earth had. It's it a mid Atlantic thing. That, yeah. But 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 it was there was Bahamian and not ba- this and that, and it was his own voice. You, Unmistakable. Uh, no other person on earth sounded. Yeah. Like Sidney Poitier, uh, quite. A friend of mine took acting classes in New York in the 60s, I guess, maybe early 70s, and they were still teaching American English, which you the hear. The Mid-Atlantic accent. Mid-Atlantic, you still hear in, um, in, in old movies and things. But, um, yeah, and the days of the week were Monday, Monday, and, and, and Tuesday, Wednesday, <laughs> Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And you had to, like, you had to say, but I love Tuesday. It's Tuesday. Not Tuesday, Tuesday, and of course Thursday, Thursday, <laughs> and like it's not like Thursday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, uh, anyway yeah. he, he was a great yeah. actor. He was a great actor. I mean, he had such presence, and the way the fact that he threaded the needle of everything complicated and difficult, yeah. race, strength, power, uh, uh, being being black. Uh, being appealing to white people while not being unappealing to black people. Yeah, there's no milk white. toast either. But you yeah. notice that no. in, being in, sexual, um, you know, like being yeah. a like a like yeah. a masculine kind of guy without being threatening, but yeah. without being effeminate. I mean, like, formidable yeah. and f- and and incredible. I mean, like that scene, the scene in in oh, in, yeah. uh, in the, the, the of the night where the yeah where the Mississippi landowner slaps him. And he just slaps the guy back. Was Mr. Colbert ever in this greenhouse, say, last night about midnight? Good, that's me. Yeah. And this Rod Steiger is in a single sort of standing up, like, what, do I, what am I going to do? And, and the guy <laughs> yeah. says, like, well, the guy what, says, are what are you going to do, gonna do? The sheriff? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But he lets um, it happen. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah, what do they call li- you? What do they call you, boy? They call me Mr. Tibbs. Mr. I mean, it, Tibbs. it was yeah. it was 1968. Even now, you watch it. It's and I watched it last. Year, it's electrifying. And Don't otherwise, you, think- you know, it's a it's a pot bo- it's a pot boiler yeah, mystery. Yeah. yeah. Don't it's you think not, that? Yeah. They should have changed the name, Mr. Tibbs. So I, that didn't work for me. They call me Mr. Tibbs. Like they call me Mr. Finkelstein. It's like no, get a. You need a better name. <laughs> you think that because they call of Mr. me Mr. You, you got Mr. a problem with it because it Pibb. rhymes with Mr. Pibb. Anyway, I think Mr. it was well, uh, yeah. totally fine. Virgil, Virgil Tibbs. Um, no, yeah, he was like, just Virgil a, Tibbs. Like I'm not yeah. scared of Virgil Tibbs. What 
what also interests me about him is, you know, his closest friend for 50 years was Harry Belafonte. Harry right. Belafonte was a con- is still is a, a communist. I mean, I, I don't think yeah, that's yeah. too – he's a communist. He was sort of a supporter of Stalin. He was certainly a supporter of Castro, supported revolutionary movements. He was He's a communist. Even, even he would have had a better press conference than yesterday. But anyway, <laughs> just trying to knit um, everything together. Sidney <laughs> Poitier resolutely refused to involve himself in politics. He did not involve himself in politics. And yet uh, – and, and, you know, Harry Belafonte could do nothing but involve himself in politics. And yet into his 80s, he and Belafonte – he would come to New York and he and Belafonte would just sort of sit around and, you know, shoot the shit basically. Would have been cool Because actually. he was so – you know, they were, but they remember, were the only in two the, people in the, like them. Yeah, in the great play and movie Six Degrees of Separation – one of the ways the con man ingratiates himself into the rich white people is he says he's Sidney Poitier's unacknowledged son. Mm-hmm. And, oh, no, he's Sidney Poitier's son. And, and they he's don't know in that town. Sidney Poitier doesn't have a son. Right. Yeah, and, they're, and, they're in their, and he's in town because Sidney Poitier is uh, directing a, a movie version of Cats. And when they when they <laughs> say it in the theater, when there's a play, like the audience erupts into laughter because, of course, ha- what could be worse than a movie version of Cats, which we now know it, it did nothing because it, they did one. But <laughs> but I just love the idea that Sidney Poitier was like, well, Sidney Poitier, like all these, and and, and it, even to this t- even the, the 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 visiting in the in the first scene, the visiting art dealer, art collector, who's visiting the fancy art people in their Fifth Avenue uh, apartment. He's from South Africa. Which was the choice, like even South African white, rich white people, like, oh, Sidney Poitier, he's a. Can I? And, can and, I? And can, will he put us in that play? That's what. Like, that's the, my father would like to put you in the movie version of Cats, and all they're all like, oh, please, like stay the night. You know? <laughs> can I drop two? I got two. I got two New York drops for you. Uh, the, no, we don't the, really like the inciting incident, the David Hampton incident that led to the right. writing of Six Degrees of Separation actually took place in the apartment building that I grew up in. Um, the, the family that uh, Hampton ingratiated himself with uh, lived in, in my apartment building, and the apart- that wasn't a Fifth Avenue apartment. It was actually an Upper West Side, you know, Grand Upper West Side apartment. And, um, uh, and so uh, that, that's, one, that's one big uh, drop. And uh, the other is that I was once on uh, a TV show, uh, on Fox with uh, David Hampton and Jonah's mother. <laughs> Jonah's mother and I and David Hampton. It was either it was either Drudge's show or Judith Regan's show. I don't remember. Back in the mists of history. Imagine this, like the, the lineup, the Drudge show followed by the Judith Regan show. Oh anyway, yeah. I don't remember what and I That's think Barbara cable I channel think the, the actress yeah. Barbara Barry might have been oh, on sure, also. Sure, and there we yeah, were yeah. talking about Clinton. Clinton and Monica on 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 Fox with David Hampton, the character, the con man character on whom Six Degrees of Separation was was based. Those Only were the America. days. Those were yeah. the days. City Poitier. There you go. City Poitier. Yeah. R- and, R- you know, R- and the, City Poitier R.A.P. And the other thing about City Poitier is Uh-oh. he made delightful movies as a director. Like he he was the first genuinely successful, commercially successful black director. He made there were there yeah, were a couple of directors. Yeah. Gordon Parks had directed before him, 
but he directed first he directed a movie called Buck, Buck and the Preacher, which is not that interesting. Then he made Uptown Saturday Uptown Night, Saturday which, Night. Is which is a good movie, which is a fantastic movie about a lost lottery ticket. It's him and Bill Cosby and Harry Belafonte playing a parody of uh, Marlon Brando's Godfather. They made two sequels that he directed, and then he made Stir Crazy with Gene Wilder and That's right. Richard Pryor, which oh, was a monster hit. He directed Stir, which was a monster hit. It it's was, hard to, I think, yeah. I think it no, was I remember Stir Crazy. the I most Stir successful, Crazy. Uh, financially successful comedy ever made up to that point. Something like that. That's right. That's right. We're bad. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's right. We don't want no shit either. That's right. Darn right. And I have a... I, I have a, a a a theory about that movie. Okay. My theory about that movie was that one of the reasons it was such a giant hit and one of the reasons why movies are having a hard time being hits like that now is because that movie advertised on network television, on broadcast network television. And two of the killer jokes in that movie are on the are in the are in the the commercials. And people, people even now, if you ask them about movies, it's certainly that era, but that one especially, they'll say Gene Wilder coming out of jail when he's been released from jail in, in quasi-blackface. I don't know if it was 100% Not in quasi, blackface. not quasi. Oh, he was in blackface. He okay, was in blackface, blackface right? And carrying, saying, a, carrying a radio. Carrying, carrying a, a – Right, saying, yeah, we cool, we, we cool, yeah. or something we like bad. that. With Richard, we bad. With Richard – That's like, right. You know that, Richard Pryor saying, that's right, that's right, we bad. That was the line. That, and that was – so everyone watching TV, any channel, any network saw that and thought, I want to see that movie. And that was enough to make a movie. I mean, it was a funny movie, but enough yeah. to make that movie not just be a huge hit, but just – I think it dated two other – uh, Gene Wilder, Richard Pryor, four or five, uh, I think, actually after really that. that many? Yeah, there's yeah. only, there only two one more. One of them was blind, and one of them was deaf. Right? That was the last one. That was a great. There were there were there were a couple more. Anyway, the what was interesting, I think, about Stir Crazy is, um, you know, we discuss Ralph Northam until the cows come home. Sidney Poitier made a movie in which he right. put Gene Wilder in blackface. Come on, man, get some jive going. Be cool. Shake it, but don't break it. Hey, man. How do I look? You look sharp. I feel sharp. You hear? I feel like a ten around midnight. You see? How does that? Get down. Get down. Feeling good. Feeling fine. And, yeah. and then that was and that on was okay. the commercial. That was the commercial. It was on the commercial. Yeah. Right. That is that is how different our time is from 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 that time. And that Sidney Poitier thought. That is really funny if Gene Wilder tries to play black in prison because he's trying to save himself from getting right. raped and killed in prison. <laughs> that is – As one does. That is, as, as one, one does. does, right. And and Richard Pryor, of course, I, then also plays a kind of scared, uptight black guy, which, again, a type you would never see now because yeah. it would be like, oh, that's uncomfortable uh, echoes of step and fetch it, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's like he became the big – he became an enormous movie well, star because of Stir Crazy, in, Richard in Pryor. That, in uh, See No Evil, Hear No Evil, Gene Wilder plays deaf, and Richard Pryor plays blind. And it's really funny. I mean, it's yeah. dumb in many ways. But I remember being in the theater seeing this movie, and I remember laughing super hard at this one joke. I don't know if I told this joke. At one point, uh, you know, they're, 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 they're buddies. It's a buddy picture. They're on a little caper, um, or they're escaping from – you know, it's all the same. It's like two guys who are not really friends, who are mismatched, have to band together to escape bad people trying to kill them. And as they're driving away, and Pryor is having um, 
you know, Gene Wilder's got a lead prior because Gene Wilder can see, but 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 can't hear, and and prior can hear, but I can't see. And uh, prior is expressing this kind of like, um, uh, not disbelief, but the sense of like you're not really deaf. Like I don't know what you know, like irritation at his friend's disability, and he says, "Well, has anybody ever just yelled really loud in your ear?" <laughs> I forgot about and that. And Gene Wilder's yeah. driving, looks at him, and he's like, "Um, well, no, actually not." And so Richard Pryor leans in and just screams in his ear, "Can yell hear that?" And I was like, "Wait, wait a minute." Wait a minute, I think I hear something. Oh my God, you know, again, Wilder could really sell like things. Like, oh my God, oh my God, I can hear something. I can hear something. And then Wilder, and then Pryor keeps screaming, his ear, can you hear this? And then, and then he finally turns to, to Richard Pryor and goes, I can't hear you. I am <laughs> deaf, you idiot. It's <laughs> just, just a great joke. Do you remember the Saturday Night Live thing with Garrett Morris? Because like, remember, it used to oh, be. Yeah. Would, uh, oh, yeah, for the, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. The picture in picture of the person doing sign language for the hard yeah. of hearing. And, Instead, they had Garrett Morris like <laughs> yelling in the sign in, in the sign language yeah. thing, just yeah. repeating like, everything our, our, this yeah. president so I'll be, said. I'll, I'll be Chevy Chase, and you'll be Garrett Morris. Like, okay. Our top story tonight. Our top story tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious, just, and you know, never, ever, yeah. ever, ever, ever do that. And what's right. amazing is the city Poitiers did it. And 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 uh, the, by the way, Uptown Saturday Night's a great picture. It really I love is. Silver Streak. I loved a lot of Silver those. Streak's those really yeah, Silver Streak yeah, is yeah. not a Sidney Poitier movie, That's but Silver Streak no, is. No, but it yeah. is a Wilder. It is a Gene Wilder movie. That's right. With Gene Clayburgh. Jill Clayburgh. Anyway, Jill Clayburgh and Gene Wilder. And you know who's the villain in See No Evil, Hear No Evil? Kevin Spacey. I didn't is know that. How really? weird is that? Wow. The young Kevin Spacey. How young was guy. he? Jeez. In his, you know, he was he was he was so young that he was only ten years older than the boy that he molested. <laughs> The teenage boy that he molested. <laughs> Whoever that guy is who starred in Rent, whom he molested. Oh, right, um, right, right. Uh, Adam Rapp or uh, – anyway. Yeah, I think um, it is, yeah. So, guys, uh, you know, it makes you uncomfortable to talk about stuff like this. So if you're uncomfortable, let's talk about Tommy John, okay? Because dropping temps, <laughs> chilly mornings, icy toes. Look, winter's going to winter, so let's fight cold Nice segue cozy. from, from uh, Kevin Spacey to men's underwear. If only we were doing something Suit with boys' up with underwear. Softness <laughs> from Tommy John. When you start the year wearing Tommy John, you're that much more comfortable, so you can do everything better. Look, this is your business. Rob, I'm sorry, you're not right. Mine, okay, sorry, no, I'm sorry. so don't undercut. I don't want to undermine the spot. Uh, by the way, okay. I am wearing Tommy John underwear as we speak, and it is very, very fun. It's extremely uh, fun. I product. was wearing Tommy John. Uh, sweatpants last night to bed and they were fantastic oh they're the best they really are the best. I, I now i find i now have to wear sweatpants to bed because we have a, this puppy and the puppy you know when it gets up in the morning gets all excited and like climbs up on my leg and scratches the hell out of my leg so i now have to wear long pants to bed to to get out of bed and uh you know deal with the puppy and uh, that's what the tommy john uh, tommy john so that's what the scratching your leg are for but you stick with that story and I, exactly now tommy john Underwear has breathable, lightweight, moisture-wicking fabric with four times the stretch of competing brands. And you'll feel the same level of comfort layering their luxuriously soft loungewear right on top. Tommy John loungewear is so comfortable and good-looking, you can and will be wearing them everywhere. With over 17 million pairs sold, Tommy John doesn't have customers. They have fanatics. Plus, whatever you choose from new underwear to loungewear, it's all backed by Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear 
or its free guarantee. Get 20% off your first order right now at tommyjohn.com slash glop. Go to tommyjohn.com slash glop for 20% off. tommyjohn.com slash glop. See site for details. Let's move on to Peter Bogdanovich. Not Betty White. Uh, okay. Oh, Betty White. Uh, oh, wait, 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 either one. It's fine. Yeah. So Peter Bogdanovich had... Um, we talked about Peter though before, I think. Here. Did we? Okay, but I mean yeah. the thing about him, right? So, so um, I was listening. Uh, there's a there's a writer named Andrew Goldman, uh, who um, uh, celebrity profile. Sort of one of the best celebrity profilers wrote this kind of very explosive profile of Bogdanovich two or three years ago for New York Magazine, and he has a podcast called The Originals, and he released the tape that he used to write this profile of Bogdanovich. You know, last week after Bogdanovich died, and I will say this about him. Uh, made three great movies in a row, and in a then row. kind of his and not, in not a row. just in a row, in, like, like, in like within in like, like four years. years. But it's yeah, insane. Last, two years, I think. Yeah, crazy. Last picture show, What's Up Doc, uh, Paper Moon, all of which I've watched in the last two months, and all of which not only stand up but are seen oh, more God. impressive. More Paper impressive Moon is, than a, they is did. A, one of the great American movies. Yeah. It's a masterpiece, in my opinion. And it's available on uh, HBO Max, by the way. If do you not if you if you have not seen it, yeah. Do not do not hesitate. Do two things. One, join Ricochet, because if you're listening to this, you're listening to Ricochet Network, so you really should join, uh, and we need you. And the second is then watch Paper Moon, and you're welcome. It's a brilliant picture. <laughs> right. Um, but here's the thing about him. He was an absolutely entrancing personality. Yeah, yeah, you can sort yeah. of understand why, even though his career, his successful career effectively ended like in the late 70s, and he kind of became this sad making TV movies that weren't very good and getting fired mm -hmm. off movies that weren't good and getting it. But, like, he was so interesting. He was so captivating as a speaker, as a name dropper, as a storyteller, as a mimic talking yeah, he was... about that, um, that you could sort of understand why we couldn't get quit of him the way you got you get quit of a lot of people, a lot, you know, like Michael Cimino, nobody yeah, yeah, ever yeah. knew but, about but after the he had a big failure. Yeah. He was a super stylish dresser. Like he always wore a little neckerchief thing. Yeah, always it, until yeah. like a year ago, and that he just looked cool. Like and Sidney Poitier too. Like whenever you saw Sidney Poitier, he looked cool. He looked like a movie star. Yeah. Uh, and and Bogdanovich just looked like a movie director. And I, I have two Bogdanovich stories. One is like super private, and I shouldn't say it, but I'm saying it anyway. And the other is just I was in the law waiting for a meeting with my agent in the lobby. It's a big, you know, a giant big steel and glass thing in Century City, and I'm in a cavernous marble lobby, kind of right out of Italian fascist architecture, which is probably, I'm sure was me, which was intentional. And I'm sitting waiting, and uh, I text my agent up on the sixth floor that I'm here, and then I suddenly, and he says, I'll be, I'll be down in a second, and then I suddenly see, I'm sitting across from Peter Bogdanovich. I mean, I know it's him, because I first noticed the neckerchief around his neck. And then, so I start talking to Peter Bogdanovich, and I text my agent, say, don't, no rush. I'm talking to Peter Bogdanovich, and then he sent me a long list of unrepeatable adjectives to describe <laughs> Peter Bogdanovich. Um, all of them are just shocking, uh, just universally loathed by people like agents because he was, he was difficult, which made me like him even more. And the second story I would say is that I, I was friends with somebody who knew one of the, the, one of the children of an, of, uh, of, um, of an actress that he was in one of his big flop movies, whether he directed the big flop movie. That's all I'm going to say. You can look it up. I just don't want to say it. And uh, they had had a relationship, and um, they had made this terrible movie together. And um, so my friend would sometimes come to, the, to her house, the actress's house, to, to pick up the daughter 
to go out for dinner. And often um, Peter Bogdanovich and the mom and the actress were there together in like the little media room watching that movie over and over again and crying and saying, it's so good. It's so good. Why didn't people see how good it was? Like, more than one time, more than five times did he enter into the scene of the director of the movie and the actress in the movie who made a failed movie, watching the movie, failed movie from like the like late 70s, and just crying with tissues and popcorn saying, it's so good. It's so good. Which I think is kind of a, such a great Sunset Boulevard moment. Anyway, go ahead. Um, how do I feel about this podcast? <laughs> it's so good. Well, okay, Betty White. <laughs> Betty White. Betty White. I mean, Betty White was one, is one of those figures, it seems to me, a bit like Dolly Parton, right? There are only a handful of them that not only is, like, I, I hate, as a general rule, being told there are certain people I have to like. Yeah. But then there are some people that you kind of really do have to like. <laughs> and and the, the list of them is so much shorter than the official list of, like, oh, you have to like all these people. And Betty White it was just, you know, I mean, she was great. I mean, I don't have any great – I have no anecdotes about Betty White. Um, she managed to um, – play to type in her 90s in a way that mm -hmm. didn't feel forced or cheap or derivative um that was funny she was fantastic in her in her bit parts on community where she played a uh sociology anthropology professor um and she one of the episodes is where she asked the class she says take these take these various uh items and figure out what's the most useful for survival and um and so the whole show ends with with um what's his name um saying tripper saying uh not tripper what's the name of the the, the, the joe McHale. i don't joe McHale, yeah joe McHale character winger winger because he was named after the bill murray character right. um winger does this it's really none of these items go on the most important tool is respect and then betty white goes that's a great that's a beautiful answer but i was thinking of this a deadlier weapon than any one item in a box so i'm going to use this to attack you and you use respect to defend yourself uh oh uh. she has all seven devices seven items put together to form like this super weapon with a noose and a crossbow <laughs> and she beats the crap out of winger with it and, and i love that stuff i mean she's yeah. great uh, here's how beloved she is she's so beloved that as a joke i was uh talking to a friend of mine about her and uh and i said well you really want to know the truth about betty white i mean behind the scenes like and uh my friend's like, no, I don't, no, do not, do, no, do not do this, no. And I'm like, well, okay, one time, no, stop. And like really urgently telling me that. Now, the truth is I, there's, I don't know anybody who didn't love her. Yeah. And, yeah. and like, she's a professional, too. She worked. I mean, I remember talking to my um, casting director once and saying, hey, do you think that we could get Betty White for this one part? And um, the uh, casting director said, <laughs> yeah. Because... <laughs> She's available. Like she was, she if she was available, she she would do it. She wanted to work, which I, I was like, not for a person of her stature and her accomplishments. 
was not is not normal. Like she she didn't need the money, but she just liked working. And she was she liked work. She liked working, and Funny. she was able. She was yeah. able and hardy and hale and hardy. She co-starred on a TV show in her nineties, which is almost unthinkable if you know people in their nineties. Right. Like right. she was on this show, Hot in Cleveland, on 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 uh, Nick at Night or I don't know TV Land or something TV like Land, that. TV Land. Um, I am. Uh, I learned something looking something up about Betty White that I did not know, which is just totally off off the off the point. So of course she was on The Golden Girls, was her big sitcom after the Mary Tyler Moore show, which is which is the show that put her on the map again as a middle aged performer. She right. had been sort of a young before, no really, and she kind of incepted this amazing character, right? This kind of oleaginous, sweet. You know, the happy homemaker who just had a, you know, who was just a, a yeah. horrible bitch, right? But, mm -hmm. but, you know, and, and, and a total slut. And it's right. And, and just a fantastic character that uh, she both incepted and that they, they, they knew they had gold when she, they cast her in the part and like, you know, just kept writing for her because there was a great joke. Can I tell you one of her great jokes? She's sitting next to Mary and she's complaining about the decor and uh, in their office, in her office. Oh, Mary, this just looks so drab. Nothing's worse than the wallpaper in the men's room. <laughs> and Mary says, um, Sue Ann, did you crash the men's room? And she says, no, 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 no. I went as somebody's guest. <laughs> See, um, so she's on the Golden Girls. So I, you know, um, I looked up the Golden Girls, and the Golden Girls was created by a writer named Susan Harris, who also made yeah. soap. And it turns out that Susan Harris is the mother of leading American atheist and podcaster Sam Harris, which I did not know. Huh. I didn't know that Sam either. Sam Harris is Susan Harris's son. Wow. Uh, what, maybe the first breakout podcaster, maybe. like 10, 12 years ago. Yeah. He was a guy, you know, he wrote this atheist, atheistic book, and then he started this podcast to promote it, and it just everything sort of exploded. And now he's kind of become a, a bit of an intellectual dark web person, right? He's yeah, kind of yeah, like a so. Barry Weiss, like you know, don't believe the liberal media's, you know, don't but, you know, but you should anti anti PC, you know, but yeah. very anti PC and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, starting out from this, you know, uh, very atheistic frame. Anyway, that was sort of an interesting um, bit of. I, I'm uh, sure he's really. good. I haven't heard his podcast. I'm sure he's very good and very talented. I'm not. I don't mean to put him down, but I did recently see this thing came across this kind of joke. This joke tweet, somebody saying, hey, I just, just did an interview with a really very successful tech entrepreneur, and he gave me the five secrets to uh, an effective um, entrepreneurial success. One, wake up 4.30 in the morning. Two, cold water plunge. Three, do all your hard tasks before noon. Four, gratitude journaling. Three, be the son of a millionaire. <laughs> it's like, oh, I get it. Okay. <laughs> you know what would also be really good if you really needed to, you know, be productive and be the kind of person who could make lists like that and do podcasts? An X chair. Sure. Because, you know, right. I need one. You by need the to de stress. You need to de stress. You need to be comfortable where you work. You need to have, you need to be the right temperature and you need to have your back supported. So the X chair has that. Uh, LMX technology, the massage chair technology that gives you four settings to make you comfortable. The LMX technology can also heat you up if the room is cold, cool you down if the room is hot. And with the customized support of its of X-Chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar, your back will never be happy in any other chair again. 
So that is the comfort you can get. That is the productivity that you can achieve. And that is the podcasting that you can do sitting in an X chair. So try my, take my advice, try X chair yourself risk-free for 30 days. You'll see how much better your chair can be and you'll never go back. So go to xchairglop.com now. That's the letter X, the word chair, glop.com or call 1-844-4X-CHAIR for $100 off your order. X-CHAIR has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort. You can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month, xchairglop.com. And now for, I think, the, 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 the tragic passing and somebody that um, I think we all knew, uh, Terry Teachout, commentaries critic at large, theater critic for the Wall Street Journal, who died in his, died in his sleep last week, 65 years old, yeah. all of a sudden. Uh, he had had congestive heart failure uh, a, a dozen years earlier, um, but uh, was not sick. Uh, and, of course, had lived through, as a lot of people know, had lived through the tragic passing of his wife, Hillary, who had a pulmonary lung disease and had been waiting for years for a double lung transplant, got them, and it didn't take right. She got an infection, and she died in the hospital at the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, Terry had found new love and was with his new um, uh, companion, uh, Cheryl, uh, when he died uh, last week. Um, uh, and, uh, he was really an extraordinary, uh, person, um, uh, a small town boy who basically decided, chose to become an expert in every aspect of American culture, both high and low, with the exception of television, which he didn't really care that much about, but yeah, I know movies, (laughs) classical music, jazz, uh, dance, ballet, modern dance. And, and like a high and low too. Like he really did. I mean, he was also... He, in many ways, I think he said this once that the 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 pandemic uh, helped him, you know, fulfill his desire to. If you're going to see everything on Zoom, you can see something from you know Cedar Rapids just as easily as you can see something from New York City. And I think he was a huge champion of like regional theater, which I thought was great. And uh, and then and also like an incredible enthusiast. He would like watch old movies. Some of which I had seen, many of which I had seen, and then sort of wax rhapsodic about this or that you know, actor, this or that moment. I'd be like, ah, eh, it wasn't that great. But he was such an enthusiast. He was, it was like infectious. I would go back and like, oh, well, maybe it was, but it really wasn't. He just was like a, he, he, he was an enthusiastic booster of American culture, high and low. Wrote a wonderful play about uh, Louis Armstrong. Um, interest, just interesting uh, and, and, and lovely character. I have one. Can I share my one Terry Teachout story, which Please. isn't really Terry, but a friend of mine, old friend of mine from college, was an intern years ago at Harper's Magazine, and that was when Terry was a was a um, an editor there. And Terry pulled him aside and said, "Listen, you're here for the summer. We're not going to pay you much, or if at all. Uh, the trick is uh, work the Harper's name. Uh, if something, if you get an invitation comes in and it looks good for something, just go." Just say you're from Harper's. Go for the summer, and if you uh, if you want a book or something, just send a letter saying we're thinking about doing a roundup of something, and you'll get all. It'll only go for the expensive books, right? Just go for the really big stuff, uh, which he did. Was it was really great, great um, practical advice for a young writer, and in, included. Uh, so he one day he got in the mail, he got this thing for uh, the the da- uh, Dunhill was coming out with new cig- uh, for the first time in a long time a cigar brand. This is like in the eighties. And they were having a big lunch at the Explorers Club. 
And so he showed it to Terry. He said, what, 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 do you want to go to this? And Terry said, no, this is for you. You go. And so my friend and I went to the Explorers Club uh, in the middle of the day and drank all of their – everything that was available to drink that they were – it was free and left with, like, all these the goodie bags. Like, we were – I was, like, 20 – I don't know, 21 or something. It was the greatest swag ever. And it was really inspired by Terry. <laughs> yeah, Terry I, uh, was uh, – oh, go ahead. Sean, I was just saying, I didn't know Terry very well. We emailed a few times and, um, you know, we were sort of Twitter friends and all that kind of stuff. But I kind of, you know, grew up over the last 25 years reading him. And and you mentioned this on, on the commentary podcast about him, which I think is right and something that I've said about him for a while, is that it is so easy and so much more fun to be always negative in 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 criticism about movies, art, whatever. It's just a poison pen is just the ink flows a lot better. And yeah. um and you know, I remember someone who actually reminds me a lot of Terry Teacher is my friend Ronald Bailey, who's a science correspondent at Reason and come from a, from a rural background and became a ballet critic for a while and all these kinds of things. And it was Ron who always said the problem with being a critic is that it's very hard not to end up hating everything because that's just an easier way to write. <laughs> yeah. And he's he was, you know, Terry Teacher, you could tell, was going the extra mile to find what he liked in things and 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 offer some kind of constructive criticism. I mean, sometimes he panned things. You have to because, I mean, some things are – sometimes some things are terrible. But, like, you do, you never you never went to read something Terry Teacher wrote and say, oh, let's see how he's going to savage this this thing, you know, which was – one of the things I think set him apart from a lot of critics. Anyway, I, you know, he wrote uh, in almost uh, – I've edited commentary for 13 years. He appeared in every issue but two uh, in those 13 years and was the music critic of the magazine for 14 years before that and wrote for it before that. Um, so he is, the, he is one of the writers with whom I have the most, you know, intimate experience as an editor – um, and he was uh, remarkable in that regard, too, because he was without vanity, which is to say, uh, which is a very difficult quality in a writer. He was somebody whom you could say, I don't really think this is that interesting. Do you have yeah. something more interesting to say here? It's like you uh, let me let, let's 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 toss some ideas around of what might what might make this piece more interesting. And he would say, OK, and then he would then he would come back a day later with a thoroughly revised version that that like hit the mark you know it, whereas it had seemed to miss it um and we developed such a shorthand that he he understood that when i was coming what i was coming to uh, it was simply to make it the best that it could be and it was under his name not mine and you know this was all to his benefit that is something that's very hard for writers to feel uh, our vanity is very much part of you know who we are and it, people can be very, very, very thin-skinned, and um, and he he wasn't in that respect, and he was uh, a person uh, capable of mutual admiration um, in that regard, which is a which is a, a again a, a rare quality and a quality that I think a lot of people saw. Uh, he was maybe the most popular person on Twitter, uh, you know, sort of as as uh, even on Twitter he was he found it impossible to be negative, and he was very. Yeah loving and supportive to people he didn't know and and mostly talked positively and told stories about himself and 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 stuff like that and and people just you know loved him uh and and took great comfort in his uh 
kindness or his sort of um, open heartedness, let's say, and his lack of irony, his lack yeah. of, uh, you know, which is part of the point of Twitter. Um, and and he, he didn't partake of it. Anyway, it's a terrible loss. It's a loss for American culture. It's a loss to commentary. It's a loss to the right because he was a conservative. He was a conservative who believed in America and believed in the strength and vitality of American culture and its binding quality, one of the ways in which it bound, binds us together and doesn't separate us. And so it's a, it's a real, it's a, just a, a yeah. very, very sad thing. Um, and maybe, maybe we will, um, we will end on that commemorative note. If oh. that's no, well, it's kind of a sad, <laughs> I know. <laughs> like, I mean, it's sad. I so, uh, I mean, Kerry Teachout himself, the great, the great theater critic, would have said, well, "You gotta, you know, gotta have a scene out. You gotta have a button here. You gotta, you gotta, gotta, 11, gotta have a, you need an a, eleven o'clock number. A a 11, do. Not to be yeah. too macabre, but can we think of somebody where Glad died? <laughs> oh, that's a really. Oh, <laughs> we used to do this terrible thing in the writers' room that. Um, now I'm really like I don't I gotta always uh, like when someone great died. Like we would do this for we would do this for Betty White. I guarantee you we would do this for Betty White in the room. If something else happened, something's bad happened, like, ah, oh, you know, that we got these terrible notes, we have to do this, oh, the scene doesn't work, we come back. Well the good news is that Betty White is dead. And then we'd all laugh, because of course it's sort of it's the opposite, obviously, but it's funny. Uh-huh. And um I did that uh just the other day about Betty White to people who – I always do this. I make a mistake, and I say it to people who aren't don't know the context of saying a thing like that. And what I got was, oh, no. Oh, no. That, what, what do you – like, oh, no, I don't mean that it's good that she's dead. I mean that it's not good that she's dead. I was just saying <clears throat> the opposite to her because of the funny <laughs> jokes and the whatnot. Robert <laughs> Durst. Robert Durst died. He died. Yes, yes that, that, that was good. That was yeah. good because he, yeah. he's meeting he's meeting you know Satan earlier than he would have otherwise. Sure, sure. You know he could have um, he could have spared himself a couple of years, but he he you know he he uh, he croaked and uh, and will be getting his eternal. But eternal the big, the big winner here is Satan because the Durst could teach him a thing or two. There you go. Exactly. I mean, who else do we want you know, to? It's lonely so, down there. Who who would we like to? Who would we? You don't Putin? want anyone. Well, Putin. 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 That, would be, that would be the big, big, that would be the fantastic finish. Wouldn't right. it? Yeah. I don't know. I, uh, this, I, I this just. This is for fraught conversation. It's fraught. Yeah. It's fraught. But you can, you can wish, you can wish Putin dead, can't you? I, I, I think, think so. that's okay. Yeah, yeah, sure. I think that's okay. He's a net, you know, or, 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 or okay. Bashar al-Assad. Uh, I will leave it, we'll like leave that. with this. I just have a thought experiment, just something to, for, for uh, uh, yeah. us and our, our, our many, 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 or dozens of fans and dozens of listeners to think about. Uh, okay, tomorrow, next day, next week, in the middle of this crisis, of the Ukraine crisis, Putin dies. Yeah. How many days, weeks, months, hours, years even, does it take for the QAnon, he's not really dead. He's going <laughs> to show up in Tempe, Arizona at our next convention to, sh- to come up. Minutes. Oh, I'm... I, Minutes. I, I, <laughs> It already has. I'm sure. It's, I'm sure there's already a theory that he is dead. JFK and Jr. He's been and replaced by a robot or something, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. Um, you know who kills people? Vic Vic Mattis. Vic Mattis, famously uh, of uh, of the uh, 
of the sub beacon uh works with the free beacon uh can mention someone on a podcast and they're like like says whatever happened to so and so and then like the next week bam they're dead wow hmm. it's a real and skill you, you know the th- the rule of threes right like if you know yeah and i was finishing with one more joke so we had to have some laughs but the, the, the three like uh you know famous people die uh, and then, and then, then, a th- then sometimes, like, like a bunch of people, a bunch of famous people died, and then Dwayne Hickman died, who was to play Dobie Gillis. And then the question is, okay, does he count as like one of the famous people? Is he one of the three, or is it like, eh, he's not really one of the three? Uh, no. Yeah, he's not. Dwayne he's not Hickman. Yeah. Everybody this- who was on Dobie Gillis ended up being more famous than Dwayne Hickman. Right. Okay, right. that's a good Bob answer. Denver was on Dobie Gillis. She looked cool. State Assembly one. She looked. She looked. No, uh, County Commissioner. Yes, County Commissioner Sheila Kuehl, the Sheila first Kuehl. out. Uh, I think like the first out a lesbian. Uh, n- uh, yeah, open like lesbian that was a big shock. Politician. Yeah, uh, <laughs> she gets uh, out of her Subaru no, with her Brooklyn. I heard Jim J. was gay too. <laughs> Warren Beatty <laughs> was on Dobie Gillis. Sure. Tuesday <laughs> Wells was on Dobie Gillis. I, 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 I'm then, so sorry I brought this up now. <laughs> And I'm not going to the Georgie Jessel molested Shirley right. Temple story. I could I could have gone to. All right, here's here's a practical joke you can play on your friends. We used to do in the in you know, with the writers, right? Yeah. You get a piece of paper and you write um, three names on them and cross the first two names off. So like you write Betty White and cross it off. Yeah. And then you write Peter Bogdanovich and cross it off. And then you write John Fedoritz on it and you leave it in the office. <laughs> Uh, that's like that thing that uh, Comfortably Smug uh, used to do, right? Which is the, the name, like, somebody has a pencil and, like, crosses somebody's name, somebody in the media. I can't remember what it was. This is a stupid anecdote. But I would like to do that. Um, but, of course, the, the trick is not just the death, but, like, you make a list, you cross names off, you leave someone's name on it, and then they have to figure out what, what it was that they all had in common <laughs> right. and your name was crossed off. What, why, was what, what list am I next on? Yeah. yeah. Was it Jewish? Was it, you know, like, do they know something about me? You know, is it like, you know, we were all, you know, into into Bigfoot erotica? Jo- Jonas. Wow, that was Jonas weird. That, you just topic. that was, right that was quite, yeah. that was quite a reach wow. there. Yeah. I was never into Bigfoot erotica. You I were, brought, I you brought, brought it up with Denver Riddleman. Yeah. No, no, that's that came much later. Oh, okay. With our friend Andy Ferguson, I brought it up as an example of how this is a big, diverse country, and people are interested in all sorts of weird things. <laughs> and if you want proof of that, just look at all the titles on Amazon under the category of Bigfoot erotica. And and then it took a life of its own that somehow I'm like into Bigfoot erotica. But then, I love the idea that you said that if you, you want you want proof a politician, of that, you accepted like, a politician. Who wrote Bigfoot Erotica? No, so he actually wrote a brilliant, okay. a really good investigation oh, into where all this stuff comes from. You've okay, he wrote stop an using analysis. the word incept. You have used the word incept like seventeen <laughs> times on this. What's podcast. wrong with the word incept? But it's going to incept me to use it. Yeah, it doesn't. Not a real word. Did you guys know that involuted is a word as opposed to convoluted? Uh huh. Yeah, I've heard. I think I've read that. Like, it's like so. Yeah. What, what, what would it mean? My RA mean... used it the other day, and I was like, I did not. I, like, I, what I, does it mean? So, involuted means sort of like it basically is synonymous with convoluted, but it's like it means twisted. 
um, twisted and hard to follow, and I and 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 convoluted, I guess, means smashed together or something like that. Like you could have uh. an involuted uterus. I mean, you can't, but some people know. can. I could too. <laughs> could too. I well, could. You too. don't know. You don't know about John Fedorsky's downstairs. I, I'm a. You know. You don't know. You know. Some not. What? Some up men have crazy vaginas. Thing there is. You don't know. All right. I, I, I heard. We, we are just stretching here to find <laughs> okay. a funny way Thanks to get out. Thanks very much. I I'm, go pick up my wife I'm, the I'm stretching it because I have this terrible deadline that I need to meet, and I'm like two hours behind. So oh, deadline, deadline. Live like me. Okay. I mean, I too. I, you have such a nice apartment. Okay. Later. <laughs> <laughs> See you guys. You like Ike. I like Ike. Everybody likes Ike. For president. Hang out the banner and beat the drum. Join the conversation.